0: It definitely gives me confidence. Um, just having having the Yankees saying what they're saying and getting a random text from Andy Pettit and CC and just checking in on me. Because, um, honestly, uh, they, they believe in me, too. Um, they've always told me, you're going to be pitching for a long time. You're just going to keep getting better year and year and just trying to keep learning and adjusting. Um, adjusting and never, never really peak. So I've been trying to continually – grow as a pitcher, um, learn analytics and
1: stuff like that, and just kind of soak in as much information from the guys around me as I can.
0: There's a lot to talk about, Flip, now that the Yankees are back in camp. Games are starting to play. Um, I want to start with Jordan Montgomery, though. We just heard him at the top of this podcast. I want to start with him because, you know, I don't think he gets enough attention um, and if you ask me, he is, I guess, the X factor on this Yankees team. I'd go so far as to say he is the number two starter on this Yankees team. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, it's spring training. Let's there. And, you know, I'd have to wait to see if he continues to, you know, pitch well. Um, and as he develops more and more, remember, he's, you know, it's uh you build off of each, each start and each start builds off of each, uh, the start before it and then seasons before that. So I've got to see a little bit more here before I, I would say that, but I will say he's pitching well. And, you know, he certainly, listen, you've got to see, we have to see how you know uh, some of the other pieces that the Yankees have put together over the winter how they perform before I would I would anoint him as the number two. But I would say that he's extremely important to the Yankee plans. That I could seize it from him will go a long way toward the Yankees' championship aspirations, no doubt.
0: Yeah, good point. Names like Corey Kluber, Jameson Tyone, right, right, right. by name value, I think they're your number two, maybe your number two and number three. But we have to see how
2: yes. they pan out. They have to. They have to. If they pitch well. You know, Montgomery is listen. He's solid, and he's he's been a back end of the rotation guy so far. But there's no reason to think that he can't step up and and you know take a higher spot in in the Yankee rotation. We'll we'll see how that plays out. But listen, but but Kluber and Tyone have to pitch well for the Yankees. If they do, and you've got Jordan pitching well, and you've got obviously got Cole. The, the Yankees could have a very solid starting pitching, which right now there's a lot of question marks, only because of health, just because we don't know about Kluber and we don't know about Tyone and We don't, you know, we, those things have to play out and, and unfold. But once they do, if they um, unfold in a positive way, the Yankees could have, will have one of the better better rotations in the game for sure. One, maybe one of the best.
0: We learned this week that guys like CC Sabathia and Andy Pettit are texting Jordan yeah. Montgomery after starts, giving him advice. How valuable is that? a young guy like jordan montgomery
2: it's invaluable i mean when you get when you get people the status of players the status of cc and obviously andy pettit uh and you're getting advice from them it doesn't get any better than that i mean i think that's one of the 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 byproducts an unfortunate byproduct of COVID, in terms of you know the baseball players and the yankees and it has been uh that that you're not able to get the advice of uh, in prior years the yankees have always had been surrounded the players with you know veteran legendary players have been in camp to work with them you know uh, you know you'd get, you get you you couldn't turn a corner without seeing a a yogi or a whitey or a, a greg nettles or a you know a. Uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Ron Guidry or you know someone of, of, of tremendous stature and accomplishment Reggie for many years would be there and work with the, with the younger players and it meant a lot to the players to get that kind of advice the professional advice that they were able to give them but also players of that stature I mean you sit there with your mouth open just to admire because you say boy that's Andy Pettit Andy Pettit and he's like giving me advice. Isn't that great? You pinch yourself. And and but it does matter, and it does and, and players of special, special stature because you know what they're to be respected, not only because of what they did on the field, but for what they do in the clubhouse. That's why you players like CeCe and Andy were so
0: invaluable to the Yankees through the years. And it sounds like CeCe's giving back a little bit, talking to Montgomery, similar to how you remember CC had to reinvent himself, and Pettit helped him. It was one of the guys who helped him. Exactly. So CeCe's- Everybody leaves These,
2: it's, it's all connected tissue. The game is connected tissue.
0: Yeah, and you brought up Guidry, too. That's one of the names that popped in my head, like another lefty. Like, what is it about lefties? They they have, like, their fraternity.
2: Right? Absolutely. They're all a little wacky. That's probably what it is. They're noted for being a little flaky, lefties. So, I mean, by and large. And uh, they have their own fraternity, for sure. And uh, they're usually players, for whatever reason, they usually have outstanding personalities. And uh, very outgoing and very much... Uh, uh, in the middle of things. So, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. But I uh, think it's fun. I, but you need those players. Your apps, those players are invaluable to an organization. And the Yankees have, like, have so many of them, I mean, more than anybody else.
0: Let me guess, you're lefty?
2: No. I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually ambidextrous. Do you know that?
0: I did not know that. No. Watch
2: this. I'm going to hold something up. Now, you can't see this at home because the podcast. Hold so, what am I holding in my hand? Can you tell? A phone. A phone. What right? hand is it in? Your left hand? Now watch this. See?
0: Look at this, guys. That's <laughs> in my right hand now, right? So It's a that shame makes me this is audio only. What? It's a shame <laughs> this is audio only. Yeah, well,
2: I'm sorry, but you got – so is ambidextrous. Like both hands, right? Let's, there you go. Let's,
0: let's – geez. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Kluber Wednesday night uh, against the Blue Jays. Two perfect innings with three strikeouts. Uh, uh, given the year he's coming off of, that has to feel good, right? Right. Absolutely. You know Absolutely. what he's doing? He, he's making me look silly for calling Montgomery number two.
2: Well, I mean, listen, spring training is, is very interesting because, you know, there are players who give great performances in spring training, and then they get to the regular season, and they're, they're not nearly as good. There are players who just have struggled so mightily in spring training and they get to the regular season, and they're, they're hitting the 300s, or they're, or they're pitching lights out. Uh, it's hard to tell. The whole point of spring training, though, is to get – you do get some idea. Because look, a, a curveball that that you know that uh, that breaks and break our slider that breaks or a fastball with velocity and movement, those th- that's not going to change. If you throw that in spring training, you'll throw in the regular season. So pitchers are a little easier to sort of gauge, I think, sometimes than hitters are, because uh, again, it's a lot of it has to do with competition who you you're facing. But a ball that moves is a ball that moves, and a ball that slides is a ball that slides, and a ball with velocity is a ball with velocity, whether it's spring training or the regular season. So the fact that those things, and and and, and by the way, the next day when you move your arm and you're not in pain it is a big sign too. So, so far, this is all trending well for, for Kluber. It's early, very early, obviously extremely early. But if he continues to pitch, makes progress every start, this is going to be big for the Yankees because, again, the Yankees need him to step up and to pitch, and to pitch well and be some semblance of the Kluber of old. If he can do that, the Yankees will have a tremendous, tremendous signing on their hands. He, he, he's uh, not to be underrated. His, his value to the Yankees is inestimable. Is what? Inestable. <laughs> is there such word as inestimable? I don't know. I, I don't is have there, my dictionary. I think for there it. is. Uh, uh, stucco. 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 Stucco.
0: You're a producer, Stucco. He on has real a first quick. name,
2: but we don't call him that. It's Stucco. Stucco. Uh, isn't inestable a word? Like can't be estimated or can't be, can't be evaluated? Isn't that what inestable means?
0: Inestimable. Too great to calculate.
2: Oh. Inestimable. So I said inestimable. So I left out an um. Inest in I know that word. What, what you, no, don't do that to me. I <laughs> you know was I'm gonna kick you behind you. All right. All, so, right, all right, So, how about this? It's it was. Um, it's important that they pitch. That he pitch well. And you can't <laughs> well, value, You can't put a price tag. Price tag, You can't put a value on how important it is for him to pitch well. He has to pitch well. If he does pitch well, and at Tyone as well, the Yankees will 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 go a long way in October.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. We'll talk more about this. We'll talk more about the Yankees roster. I want to actually talk a little bit about the spring training rules with you. Uh, there's some new ones that we're seeing, Flip. Yes, they invent uh, be- them as
2: they go along here.
0: <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> yes, a little bit. Before we do that, I want to get to Ryan, our guest, Ryan Ruco. And even before that, I think we should introduce ourselves. It's probably a good idea. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Flip. Yes. Every week. I give you this glowing introduction. I mentioned yes. the Hall of Fame. Yes. I mentioned the decades of experience. Yes. I mentioned how you started. Yes.
2: Yes. How about this week you say something nice about me? Absolutely. And here's my co-host, Kevin
0: Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Man I'm just guy? feeding you softballs.
2: No, no, you're really not. Um, I, I Listen, all right, I would just say this. I would say I want to introduce my co-host, Kevin Sullivan, uh, who is uh, head of the digital media department, at yes. Uh, before that, uh, at the WWE for many years and put their digital uh, media on the, put them on the map. Uh, and did it, came here and did some, an incredible job here, at yes. He's one of our best hires, he's one of our best people and he's, and he's just a, a good guy. And uh, when somebody's great at what they do, they're, they're also good away from their job and they, they mentor people and they work with people and they care about people. Uh, it doesn't get better than that, and that's the way I feel about Stucco. No, that's the way I feel about uh, Kevin Sullivan, I like Stucco too. But Kevin, that's how I feel about Kevin. He's a, he's one of a kind. He's truly a remarkable person. How's that coming
0: for from you, Stuck? It's coming from you, Flip. That in all in all seriousness means a lot. Thank you for that. As usual, I'm alongside sports broadcasting Hall of Famer Mr. John J. Filipelli. Uh, Flip, how about we get to Ryan? Let's get to Ryan.
2: Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Curtain Call. John Filippelli and Kevin Sullivan. At this time, I'm, I'm really actually I'm really looking forward to this interview. This is someone that I've known for a long time now, and uh, he started doing stats uh, in the Yes booth for our baseball coverage. And uh, some years ago now, I guess it's some years ago. Time does fly. And he is uh, one of the most accomplished young play by play talents in the business. Uh, that's that's a long leap to go from doing stats to to play by play at, and not only play by play but to do it as successfully as he's done it. Uh, I'm really honored because uh, it is an honor because he's really quite a special special young man and uh, he does uh, he's so important to yes and I uh, he's one of my someone uh, someone I really think very highly of and that's Ryan Rucco. Ryan how are you this afternoon nice to see you hello
1: I- I'm good boss thank you for those kind words it is it's crazy how long it has been since. Uh, since things started i was an intern at yes in 2006 and i did stats in 07 is when i started that's 15 14 years ago so that means you were like seven yeah
2: basically uh, yeah <laughs> it's nice to start at that age you know all great prodigies i mean they have that talent like jimmy hendrix picked up the guitar when yeah. he was like two and tiger woods was hitting golf balls when he was like eight months old whatever it was. i mean so i, I when did you when did you first realize that the broadcasting was something you really wanted to pursue what age do you think you were when you started your your sojourn that you were at
1: i think 10 like if you look at my yearbook um when i was in fifth grade it says for career goal uh to play and announce for the yankees now the play part obviously didn't didn't work out but the announcing part has which is pretty amazing um and uh i think i used to so I was diehard sports fan growing up, played every sport. My dad and I used to watch games together. And at some point, watching the games, we would pay attention to the announcers. And I would say to him, oh, I really like, you know, I really like that call. Or like, I would love to hear the way the play-by-play guys would do kind of their um, their monologue over a montage at the end of a season after a championship was clinched. And, and I just started paying attention to it. And my dad and I would pay attention to it together. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And I literally have known what I wanted to do since I was 10 years old. So,
2: on air, who would you say was your influence? Who did you say that inspired you? You said that you would hear the calls and you'd say, I want to do that. Well, who, yeah. what calls were they? And what talent were they that uh, that uh, were the best influence on you or the greatest influence on you?
1: I think from just like listening to games standpoint, um, it, Joe Buck was a was a huge influence on me just because I thought like he had he just had such a command for the moment and you would hear his voice and it feel big and I just felt like he would he just he was so clever and he is so clever and he's you know to me he's as, as good as there is and has been and and so he he's one that like I really would listen to and be like Oh, it sounds so cool, like the way... And also, as a diehard Yankee fan growing up, his voice being attached to so many big October moments, you know, and watching games with him doing them. Um, Michael and John on the radio made... I really loved, like, I loved listening to Michael and John, and and I had this great appreciation for them, and uh, they made me want to be in the business as well. And this is kind of a... This is a different one. Um, I, I should also say, talk show wise, before I even realized about his play by play, I loved Ian Eagle. Like, I was obsessed with Ian as a talk show host and then eventually loved his play by play. Now, obviously, he's like a ridiculously close friend. But Mike Patrick was one I used to love listening to when Mike Patrick did Sunday Night Football on ESPN back when they had Sunday Night. I loved listening to his play-by-play and it really resonated with me. And it was another guy who made me want to be in the business. Uh, What do you think? All right. You gave me, you gave me the influence.
2: You gave me the the people that influenced you. Right. Okay. Um, Just curious what now? you also follow as someone who's deep in statistics and the history of the game. Okay. What would you say? uh and we'll get into more about your personal stuff uh, your career in a minute but i'm just curious as to if you could if you if there was one event you could call right you can go back in time that you weren't part of and that would be a whole lot of events in the sports television history right me too as well yeah. If you go back and call one game one event just one what would it be as a historian I, as someone who's a historian of the game
1: I, I honestly if do you want it to be baseball or any sport
2: uh, any sport is fine
1: okay I actually would call Lewis Schmelling at Yankee Stadium. And the reason I would oh. is because it, it you know, you think about that moment in time in history with the US and Germany, you think about also race uh in our country at that time with Joe Lewis and everything he represented. Um and then you have uh basically this unifying feeling from all of you know, our country rooting for Joe Lewis at one time and then the majesty of Yankee stadium um, and a fight that, you know, w- now having done boxing, I know like to me, the most memorable fights are ones that do have, you know, memorable knockouts and it can be early. It can be late. It doesn't matter. Like that's actually where you get your biggest adrenaline calling mm-hmm. a fight. Right. And the right. fact that that one ended in the first round at Yankee stadium, their rematch, that's the one that that's the event where I feel like there was so much history riding on it, plus Yankee Stadium, which is my favorite place in the world. I'll I'll I would take that event and that bi- that big event feel.
2: Interesting. That's an interesting. That's an interesting selection of all. Yeah. You, yeah. I, I get I mean, it was uh, you also had obviously the political overtones. Yeah. Of the, of the backdrop of the Second World War. Yeah. Uh, you also had, uh, you know, the race uh, overtones yeah. at the yep. time. So there was there was a lot and I'll tell you this is incredible the interesting events that you chose. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you, how did you went to Fordham University? Yeah. Now how important was Fordham in your development? It critical.
1: I I always say there's no way I would be where I am today without Fordham. And and the way I look at these things is you can have ability and you can have talent but you need people to give you opportunities to showcase that and to get repetitions and to get better and to learn. And at Fordham, what it sort of did for me was it it gave me this incubation period where I was able to get so much better and accelerate the learning curve and come out of school so far ahead of other people at my age because of the opportunities that Fordham afforded me so instead of coming out of school feeling completely raw and having you know maybe some ability. But no real uh, opportunity to fine tune or, or to have, have gotten better. At Fordham, I had all these repetitions in a lot of different ways, whether it was beat reporting in the Yankees clubhouse or the Giants clubhouse or Giants locker room or the Nets locker room and kind of learning the machinations and the subtleties of being around professional athletes in that regard. You know, I was learning that at 18, 19, 20 years old. Then I'm doing. Football, basketball, baseball, getting reps. I would live at the radio station. And my mentor, my first mentor, Bob Ahrens our executive producer of sports there, he would sit there with me for hours and dissect my tapes and like tell me, hey, this has got to get better. That's got to get better. I would host talk shows. I do sports casts. And if we had a 60 second sports cast and we recorded 62 seconds, Bob would be like, uh, it's a sixty-second sportscast, Ryan, not sixty-two. And you go back and you do it again, and you know, and like just getting. And on top of that, we also had people in the business who would come in and do workshops, which I think you've done before, Flip. Yes. And and I remember listening to, Ian Eagle and Mike Breen and Bob Papa come in and Dave Sims listen to my tapes, give me feedback. And one of the biggest influences in my career was Gary Cohen. Actually, he came in. He listened to my basketball tape. It was the second basketball demo I'd ever done. I was a sophomore in college, and he was listening to the tape, and he said, did you play basketball? And I was like, yeah, I played in high school. And he goes, you have the rhythm of the game in your voice. You can do this. And having Gary Cohen give me that stamp of confidence at that age helped further spark my confidence in my belief in myself and give me that foundation to say hey I can really do this you know I have some ability and and all of that was made possible because of Fordham and the program there so I always say there's just there I I have you know I'm forever indebted to to Fordham and what I learned at WFUV.
0: Flip I'm glad you brought up Fordham because like all joking aside there's something in the water there right mm-hmm. like Ryan listed a few. There's Jack Curry, Vince Scully, like Michael K. The, Michael K. The people they pumped popped out. Yeah. yeah. It's Carino. amazing.
1: Yeah. 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 It, 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 it My is, two sons went there too. That's right. That's you know, right.
2: And I always tell Father McShane when I when I see him, you know, I said, yeah. I'd say, I'd say, you know, my two sons went there. I said, Oh, that that's great. I go, Yeah, and I really want my money back now.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that tuition is costly. Well, it it's interesting because, you know, like my when I was in college, I was a good student and I was able to get by, but I made the conscious decision of investing my time in the radio station at WFUV it wasn't about investing in the curriculum. I, I I ended up with decent grades, but I knew what I wanted to do, and I made the conscious choice to say, okay, I can either spend my hours studying for this class that's part of a core curriculum, or I know I want to broadcast. I have these resources here. I'm going to take full advantage of this, and I'm going to go all in on my craft. And that is what I did and what I was able to do. It was perfect timing for me, too. Fordham had just built these brand-new radio stations. But I think there's a few things, Kevin. Like, first of all, I do think when you see people who've done it from where you are, it gives you confidence. And confidence is critical in anything, but especially when you're on air. You have to be confident. And seeing so many different people do it from where I was coming from gave me confidence. Spiro Didis was another one who Flip gave him his start at yes. And Spiro was somebody who I looked at and I said, he he had just gotten the voice of the Lakers job. And I was like, wow, he got that at 25? Like, why can't I do it young then, coming out of here? He came out of here. I'm coming out of here. I can too. Um, and then learning the style, you know, uh, maybe not necessarily Breen or Kay, because they were before this, but Carino, Papa, Spiro, me, we all learned the Marty Glickman style of play-by-play. You know, that's how we were taught. Um, and I think it's a style that that resonates, you know, painting the word picture. And uh, when you're on radio, uh, and he used to say, be the scorecard on TV, your analyst is the star. Um, And I think that maybe that's part of the reason why we've all found successful paths.
0: Switching gears a bit, I want to talk about uh, the podcast a little bit, R2C2. Uh, And what's fascinating to me, Ryan, is that you know, you started it when CeCe was still active player. And mm-hmm. then when you started it, you didn't
1: see that a lot. It was pretty uncommon. How did that come about? CC and I developed an organic relationship while he was playing. I was hosting uh, the Yankee Stadium scoreboard um, uh, for home games and uh, would do stuff for we were doing these features for Yankees on demand, which was the in-house uh, video stuff for the Yankees and that was in 2009 that we started it while I was still doing stats, uh, in the booth for Michael, uh, for our yes telecast. And I, you know, was in the clubhouse every day because that around the guys and CC and I just developed this relationship. And I was also working at ESPN radio in New York. And like, he's, we would talk about basketball, uh, at the time I was rooting for the Lakers because of Kobe. He was a Lakers fan. Although CC is notorious for, bandwagon hopping to whichever team is good so right now he's a diehard brooklyn nets fan um but he uh we would talk basketball and we kind of bonded over that and as the years went on then he would hear me hosting shows on espn radio and he'd text me and want to chime in and then we had certain friends that intersected as well um and uh and then we would joke about like hey we should do something someday whatever um and we got to, I think I stopped doing my radio stuff in like 2015. I actually can remember where I was when I had a conversation with flip about it and kind of going all in on my play-by-play career and getting away from the talk show hosting. Um, but the thing that I missed in the aftermath of that still was the storytelling and the conversation and the connection with the fans. What I didn't miss and what I still don't miss, and which I do think is just a product of the medium when it comes to talk show hosting, is making mountains out of molehills, right? I mean, that you get sucked into that. And and anybody who's done that can tell you, you know, the host, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, they don't actually think what they're ranting about is as big a deal As they're making it seem, you know, but you kind of get caught into the way the show goes and, and whatever. And so I didn't miss that. Um, But I wanted to still figure out a way to maybe access those other things that I did enjoy. And CC actually reached out to me. And he was like, hey, cuz, it's time for us to do this podcast. Like, and it was spring training 2017. And I was a little leery because I was like all in on my play by play. It was going really well. I was happy to not be any more like worried about, oh, I'm going to say something on air that's going to anger, you know, an employer or whatever, or a team I do games for, you know, and I and I was like, all right, man. I was like, well, if we do this, I think we should make it about like it shouldn't be a gotcha thing. It should be about the storytelling. It should be about getting to know guys personalities, kind of making the audience feel connected. And he's like, 100%, man. He's like, what do you think I want to do? You think I want to be on here ripping my teammates and athletes? And I was like, no, okay, good. So we had like an hour-long conversation talking about what we wanted to look like. We then went to Sadie Zillow, um, who was working at the Players' Tribune, because we thought the Players' Tribune could be a good fit. Uh, And uh, CeCe talked to Jeter, and so did Sadie. And Jeter was like, yeah, if you guys want a podcast, I think that sounds like a great idea, kind of empowering an active athlete's voice. And we took off from there. We've been incredibly nomadic, but uh, we've stuck together. And now CC is my longest uh, co-host. More than, I, I've worked with him more on shows than Stephen A. or Dave Rothenberg or Robin Lumberg now. So two
0: things come to mind when I hear that. One, your CC impersonation is spot on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although I can't du- duplicate his incredibly amazing laugh he has one of the greatest laughs in the world but that i can't duplicate but i appreciate that kev it does
0: and uh two you're first your name is first r2 of c2 so does that make you the
1: headliner yeah no you know what's funny about that just to show you what a good teammate cc is we were trying to come up with a name and we both had like group chats with our families trying to come up with a name what should the podcast be called and I was trying to come up with something that had CeCe's name first because it, it should be. And my dad texted uh, R2C2. And it was the first name we heard where it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, that that's a great name. So I texted it to CeCe, and I literally said, I was like, so my dad just came up with this. My only problem is it has my initials first. And CeCe was like, nah, bro, nah, that's it. That's the winner. And I was like, yeah, but I really think your initials. No, that's it, cuz. That's it. That's it. That's the name. And I was like, all right, cool. And as soon as we presented it to, uh, to the people at the Players' Tribune, um, Carl Scott, who was uh, kind of our creative head there with Sadie, they were like, absolutely, we love it. And it stuck. And gratefully, we've been able to bring it from location to location without too much litigation. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh,
2: what, what do you think to this, to this point in time now? You're doing this a number of years now. You're, you're like uh, you're still very, very young. I mean, to accomplish what you've accomplished at your age is quite remarkable, actually. Uh, what's the best Banking, piece of but... advice you've gotten so far? i mean, sure everybody must give you advice.
1: Yeah, because you're young you're, you're, yeah you, uh, I mean, you y- probably yeah. get
2: used to get in the movies at half price, I'm sure.
1: got <laughs> <laughs> used
2: to have movies. <laughs> yeah but, uh, what is, what's the best piece of advice you've got?
1: I think um, besides you telling me to stop using goodbye, sir? which is definitely up there because it it, 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 it allowed me it, – it, it, what's funny is it actually that's uh, – I'm going to say something else rather than just uh, complimenting you, Flip, but it is true for those listening that John Filippelli did tell me to stop using goodbye, sir, as a home run call so that it would allow more originality within each individual home run and probably because he didn't think it was great either on its own. But the combination, I think, has bared great fruit for me because it's allowed me a lot of creativity uh, within home run calls. So that is something tangibly within the X's and O's of play-by-play that resonates with me. I think in a broader sense, um, the the two pieces of advice that I always tell young broadcasters, because I think a lot of – a lot of young kids who are trying to get into the business reach out to me uh, via social media or, or maybe we have you know friends of friends or whatever it is because they see me as a young dude who can connect with them and they see the amazing things I've been blessed enough to experience at my age. And they, you know, they want to connect and, and ask my advice and stuff. And I always tell them the things that I use as my foundational pieces of advice, um, which is uh, one thing is something that Red Barber told Vin Scully when Vin was just starting out. And he said, Remember, there's only one thing you can take in the booth with you that nobody else can, and that's yourself. And I always tell people that because it's like, if I try and be Michael K, I'm um, at best always going to be second best. If I try and be Joe Buck, I'm at best always going to be second best. And that was kind of Vin's point. Uh, and Vin told this advice to Bob Aaron, who passed it on to me. And I later heard it from Vin himself as well. But that. You have to be, especially when you're on air, you have to be so comfortable with being authentically you, whatever that means. If that means you're dry, you're dry. If it means you're silly, you're silly. If it means you're corny, you're corny. Whatever it is that you makes you feel truly you. And I think in a game, that's especially important because, and in baseball, maybe more than any other sport, because if you're going to be on the air for that many hours, people are going to get to know you. You know, in a studio, you could be rehearsed enough that you could probably be somebody who's thought of as good at their job without showing your true personality. If you're, you know, maybe you're not going to be at your best, but I think you could be a little more mechanical and people wouldn't realize on a game. You can't, you have to be so comfortable with genuinely being who you are um, and being self-deprecating. And, uh, and that advice from Vin, I always take, and I always tell kids because it's like, you have to get in there and you have to just get real comfortable with yourself. And then, the other thing that comes from my mentor, uh, Bob Aaron's is uh, he used to say, uh, Ryan, when, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, so I won't, but he would just say, Ryan, when stuff's live, but he'd use a different word than stuff, stuff happens. And his whole point was, don't freak out. When things are live, things are going to happen. So stay calm, you know, and don't, don't, you know, the audience usually doesn't know when something's going on. Don't flip out at people in the truck who are doing their best to make you sound smart on the air. Keep calm and understand that it actually is supposed to happen. You know, it's a live show. Something wrong isn't happening. It's live. Things are supposed to happen. And so those are kind of two things I always tell kids that I use at my foundation amongst the other uh, gems and pearls that I've gotten from people in the business throughout the years.
2: You've, you've done both radio and television, right? They, they, are, they are very different mediums people don't realize that, that there's a profound difference between the two. Uh, what, which one do you find harder and why?
1: So I think that um, I think TV is harder because you have to come up with more original and creative material. When you do radio, you have to describe way more. And your job as the play-by-play guy is certainly uh, more exhaustive as far as the amount you're talking what you're describing you are the eyes for the listener right like you and you want the listener and this was a marty glickman thing to be able to have the same exact conversation the next day as the viewer deck can right like that's the goal um but because of that you everything's in front of you and you're just describing it so even like i i noticed it when i filled in for john a couple years ago doing uh the Yankee games on radio, and I and one game the score maybe got away from itself a little bit. And I was like, you know what? You still are just you have to describe every pitch, right? So there's no sort of mental search for what am I going to talk about here in a 10-1 game in the seventh inning? Well, I still need to say, like, you know, the lefty deals, down and away, ball four, missed with a slider, and it's a walk. Whereas, you know, if I'm on TV. I'm not obviously giving that level of detail. And instead you're kind of thinking like, how am I keeping this conversation interesting now that the game is maybe not, you know? So that's why I think that.
2: See, that's interesting because I think the other way. Do you? I I, I think radio could be, was harder because you know, if you don't, if you stop talking, there is nothing. Yeah. There's like dead air. Yeah. So you have to sort of, not only do you have to keep going, but the level of, of of engagement that you have to have because you get you you are painting the picture you are doing the description yeah I mean so your words have to be descriptive and that's not that's not the easiest thing to do while well, you're doing television not that you don't have to speak and speak well and yeah. speak descriptively but you have. You have the pictures. Yeah, you, have, you don't have to talk constantly. You can take a pause because the pictures tell a story. Every picture tells a story, right? Yeah. So to me, I I always found at least my own experience. I worked in radio as well uh, for a long time. Well, yeah. I started in radio, so st- radio to television. I always thought that radio was was more challenging, especially from a, from a, from an announcer standpoint. That yeah. was yeah. the way. It, but but listen, I can see the other side of it too. interesting.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. it. I mean, and I totally hear what you're saying on that flip because it's true from a strictly descriptive standpoint. It is harder on radio, right? Because you have to describe everything. If if James Harden is about to pull up to hit his seventh three of the quarter on TV, I can just be like, "Harden, oh, ho, ho, whatever," you know what I mean, or like, "Harden again." I don't need to say anything else. Right. But on radio, I need to say, "Harden, left wing, pull up, step back three, is good." You know, whatever. I have to I have to describe way more, so it is more exhaustive. But I don't think it's as Uh, they both and they're both like great in different ways too there's things i love about radio that tv can't duplicate and there's things i love about tv that radio can't duplicate but i do think just like the thing the amount of storylines you have to think of and like choosing your spots for when you're going to bring up what i think is harder on tv than radio Flip, you'd be good on radio thanks no flip i agree Flip. flip yeah Oh, my gosh. Well, are you kidding me? Flip could, Flip could do his own five-hour show every, every morning. Tell on you, radio? Not yeah. Time. On radio. Well, they don't have to see me. I, mean, I got a better chance of me getting through it. <laughs> It'd have to be on Sirius, because I feel like the FCC probably wouldn't, wouldn't love the things that you'd otherwise be saying on terrestrial radio. Uh, listen,
2: uh, one of our famous uh, 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 swear words that got on Yes was you were in the area when it happened.
1: Oh, I was in the area. That's yeah, true. So, uh,
2: so those <laughs> things uh, occasionally happen.
1: <laughs> they do. They do occasionally. It's happen.
2: those mics. You know it is? the effects mics, too. The effects mics pick up everything.
1: That's and, true. You know,
2: and when you're doing a live game, you know, people, players react in the moment. They do. And they get caught up in something that happens. And they'll be expressive. And our managers go out and they're questioning a call. I'm being nice when they say questioning. And they are—they get expressive, and, and the circumstances are such where heated moments and, and sometimes words come out that uh, people don't really mean. They just come out that way, and in, in the heat of the moment. But and it, our mics are everywhere, so they pick things up. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it, 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 listen. Technology comes with a price too. Technology—if you put the, putting the swear words aside for a second—you could hear the fact that you could hear sound is so important to a game. It really is now. With especially the advent of you know televisions through the years, as they've developed, these sets have developed from these little speakers to these giant systems that everybody movie theater systems that people have. The sound is so important to a game now, so the mics have to be omnipresent. They really need to be everywhere possible, and and they will pick things up. So. You know that that's, the, but it's great when you, to hear the balls, you know, guys crashing into walls, and you hear, you know, the slides into the bases, and you hear all those things. So a football game, you hear the you hear the hits on the field. I mean, it, it gives you a, a, more of a ent- feeling that you're actually at the sporting event, and that's our job is to to make that transition from the field from the sporting event to your home and do that transition as seamlessly as possible. So people like you obviously help that along, and are, are, you you're the first line of defense when it comes to that. So yeah, and, yeah, but that's interesting.
0: Yeah. See, he'd be good at radio um,
2: to come forever. <laughs> I'd be good at politics too. Oh, you want to talk That's for some, 20 hours? Okay. let Some talk. subtle let's
0: comedy talk. right there. Uh, I want to get your take Ryan on this year's team a little bit. Uh, who's the Yankees X factor? Who's the one player who you say, okay, this guy
1: has a good season. The Yankees are going to have a good season. Mine's Jordan Montgomery. Um, I think that. Garrett Cole, obviously, is our given Uh, when we look at the rotation, right? That's the one that all of us, anybody, can look at and say, okay, yeah, you have as good an ace as you could possibly have. But after that, you have a lot of serious question marks. And, you know, there's talent with Kluber and there's uh, talent with Tyon, but we have serious doubts about health and durability, and we need to see it and how do they bounce back. Um, And then there's youth. Uh, And the one guy who's kind of like a mix of talent and youth but has more experience than the others is Montgomery. And we saw what he was able to do in the playoffs last year, making the biggest start of his life um, and coming through the way he did. I know it was only four innings, but the way he came through for the Yankees in game four against the Rays was incredibly impressive. Um, And, you know, we also saw glimpses last year about, uh, you know, what he was capable of. We've seen the arm strength. You know, adding in the cutter. Uh he's got the size and the build. Uh he has the mentors and Andy and, and Cece. So that's my guy. I think if I look at the rotation, I say Jordan Montgomery has to have a good year for the Yankees.
2: Not Sanchez.
1: You know, I I I love Gary and I hope he has a massive year. Uh. 'Cause I, I really I really like Gary. We have a great relationship and I feel bad for the way New York fans have have dogged him over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Um but I don't think him having a great season is as critical to the team's success as Montgomery. Now Sanchez, if he does, he could put the Yankees over the top. Like if Gary Sanchez is Gary Sanchez, all of a sudden that lineup is just downright lethal. Um and you know, I think the Yankees do hit a different level. But if you ask me, could the Yankees win a World Series with Gary Sanchez having an average year? Uh, Yeah, I think they could. I think it'd be harder for them to if Jordan Montgomery was just average this year.
2: See, that's interesting because, like, I mean, I I saw it a little differently. I see Sanchez as a huge X factor. I also saw Kluber as as a tremendous X factor because— you know when you calls up there, we, you don't need to Cole is call right. We were are there solid there, but then you start look at the rest of the rotation, and there's a lot of question marks, mostly mm-hmm. because of health. You know Kluber and and, and not having pitched so how um, so infrequently the last few years mm-hmm. i mean so they, they, what do you do when you really got to start pitching innings for two guys who haven't really pitched well in the, not well but they haven't been able to stay on the field for the last couple of years so there's questions there that, and you've got obviously questions with montgomery there there are questions sort of everywhere in that rotation outside of cole so, yes yeah. so, for the yankees to win you always have to get help from unexpected places and the yankee rotation has got to step up yeah. And uh, So that's curious. It's a good answer, though. It's a, Listen, there's a lot of there's other there's other factors to outfielders. They've got to stay on the field, et cetera. But oh, it's always comes down to health, doesn't it? That's yeah. it's, it's a cliche, but it's really not, is it?
1: No, no, it's not. It's it, you're right. And it's why with starters, too, right, because of health, you know, you're always going to need eight, you know, nine, seven, whatever starters throughout the course of yeah. the season. And. Yeah. who will step up Like with Davy Garcia too. You know, the reason I'm choosing Montgomery in that yeah. sense is because I think he's the one who has the experience to be a little more reliable. Right. Um, but with what Davy showed us last year, I'm really excited to see what he can do as well. You know, and if Montgomery is really good and then Davy is what he was at the end of last year. Now, all of a sudden you can truly look at, you know, Tyone and Kluber as, Gravy if they're if they return to form rather than as pieces you're truly relying upon,
2: and Schmidt too. I mean, if Schmidt's yeah. not right Knowing up, as it, he's he, okay, yeah. As long as he's okay, I mean, the, listen, if the, and the exciting part of all this is if all the and they're they're question marks, they're all question marks to some degree, right? Yeah, if the question marks turn into exclamation points, the Yankees really will have something here.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Then, yeah. then they are uh, because we know they can hit, um. And uh and I like the couple of moves they made with the bullpen as well, so no doubt. Sticking with uh
0: Montgomery, Ryan. Um, I'm curious. You're close with Cece. Has he talked to you at all about Montgomery's upside? We learned this week that Cece is texting as well as well as Pettit texting Montgomery after his starts.
1: Yeah, they're they are super close. Um he he's he always would joke about Montgomery because he Montgomery's like very like he he would just be like, kind of like about the, about the game, you know, when he was uh, with him and kind of this, like, you know, sort of like all shucks kind of dude. Um, but it's funny because CC texts with him all the time. Uh, but he, they're usually just talking about texting about random stuff now that they're not playing. It, it's not as much. Uh, some CC will give him feedback on things ab- about his pitching, but he's really texting him. He just loves Montgomery's personality. Like, they really vibe for whatever reason. Even though they're super different, they really vibe. And, uh, and CeCe loves him. And, and one of the things, CeCe was so excited last year when Montgomery got to pitch that game in game four against the Rays. He loved that he was getting that opportunity. But CeCe thinks, you know, Montgomery has everything it takes to be, you know, a legitimate, um, you know, top line, you know, whether, whether it's your two or your three starter major league starter because of the size, because of the increased velocity, because of learning the cutter. We know he has a good change up. Uh, all of that. Um, he, CC, CeCe, uh, CC is really high on him and he's in constant communication with him. Uh, even if those texts sometimes may be ones that Montgomery can't share because they're, uh, they're more humorous. <laughs> uh,
2: so let's, let's, uh, so let's go to a different sport for a minute. Uh, we talk a lot of baseball here, obviously, but, 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 you know, you're heavily involved in the, in the Brooklyn nets and, and do quite a few games for us uh, covering the nets. Uh, tell me a little bit about your excitement level for this season. As you see, you know, you see uh, the team start to really come together with, uh, you know, with, uh, with uh, Harden playing the role that he, that he's playing and uh, Kyrie playing the role he's playing and, and obviously Durant and how, what's your level of excitement about this team now, given that there were years that you covered them where they were, they were straight struggled. This year doesn't look like a struggle. So tell me about, uh, how, why you're so excited about this season.
1: Oh, I mean, it's, it's so fun. I mean, it is so fun calling these games. And, uh, you know, we can see it in, obviously, the way our audience is growing, but the reaction from the fans. And the thing is, in basketball, the stars, they make the difference in the wins and losses. Stats come. You know, people people score points, people get rebounds. You've never seen an NBA game end a hundred to zero, right? And so really determining those difference makers is who influences wins and losses. And having superstars who influence wins and losses is just so fun. And there's electricity. You know, basketball in so many ways, it's like a Broadway show right like even the way Barclays center is lit quite literally it's lit like a broadway show but those stars they're very forward-facing right there's no helmets covering their faces hats covering their eyes it's boom they're here like they feel so accessible and when you have great ones it's just it's an amazing ride james harden what you realize, James Harden gets guys paid, okay? If you look at the contracts that he was able to get different supplementary parts over his time in Houston, you realize the way he elevates the play of everyone around him. You know, Bruce Brown has been an amazing story for the Nets this year. Do I think Bruce Brown would be in position where he's on his way to maybe get a $10 million a year contract if he wasn't playing with James Harden? No, is that a, is that any knock to Bruce Brown? No, it's not. It's just a credit to Harden and the way he elevates everyone around him. Kevin Durant, even though he had the you know, quarantine issue and now the hamstring when he's been on the floor, he's looked like the best player in the NBA. I mean, that's how good he is. Harden over this last month has looked like the best player in the NBA. Kyrie settling into the shooting guard role. Looks lethal and a crazy finisher and closer and exactly what you need around those other guys if it was going to all work. Somebody who was willing to say that. So And then you add Joe Harris, who's such a good player, um, and, uh, and I, I'm really excited about Nicholas Claxton, who just joined the team who I think was exactly what they needed, a switchy, athletic, versatile big. This is a team that right now I truly believe if they are healthy, I believe they are the best team in the NBA. Now, maybe they don't win a championship because they haven't gone through the rigors of the playoffs as a group yet or because the Lakers make a move at the deadline or the Jazz or or the Sixers or wh- whoever it might be. But I truly believe right now, as constructed completely healthy, the Brooklyn Nets are the best team in the NBA.
2: You you know, it's so, it's so important. It's so important for a good play-by-play man to have people around him. We We've talked a little bit about that. But you've you look at the people you've worked with. Think, think this for a minute. You've worked with what uh, play-by-play people are like because you're a play-by-play person, analytically, mm-hmm. analyst. You've had David Cohn, Paul O'Neill, Richard Jefferson, right? Yep. Sarah, who's come a long way in a short time, right? Yeah. Uh, so John Flaherty, your yep. student. You've had the 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 mentoring of of Michael K. Yep. Bob Lorenz. Yep, I and ego. Mm-hmm. I mean, so for as good as you are, and your talent is speaks for itself. It really helps to have people like that around you, who yeah. are rooting for your success, who want you to to do your best work, and are going to do everything they can to ensure it. And you, on the other hand, have uh, on the same hand actually are looking at it and saying, "I'm going to be as generous as I can with them because th- this broadcast is going to be as good as we make it." It's mm-hmm. collectively, all of us make it so, and you get the team concept as well as
1: anybody I've worked with uh, through the years. Thank you, Flip. Thank you. I mean, I feel lucky because between if you look at the people I work with, who you just named at yes. And then even my analysts, I work with at ESPN, whether it's Hubie Brown or Jeff right. Van Gundy or Mark Jackson, who of course, you know, started at yes. Right. Um, Fertello, you've
2: had Fertello too. Fertello.
1: Yeah. Right. Jim Spinarco, Rebecca Lobo, Doris right. Burke. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the analysts that I work with, like, it's crazy how great they all are. I I literally, I never, I've had that experience maybe a handful of times in my life where you go to go to do a game and you're like, feel like you're pulling weight because you realize, you know, this other person maybe isn't prepared or, or it's just not their thing or whatever. I mean, it makes a play by play person's job so much more difficult. The fact that, in ninety nine point nine percent of the broadcasts i 've done in my life i 've gotten the opportunity to work with not just good but great analysts and great people you know we we, we only hire good people at at yes period um, and the the I, and I could say the same i 'm lucky for the analysts I work with at espn they 're good people uh, and uh, it makes the job so easy and it makes it fun because you know, I mean, all of us in some way we started as athletes, right? What I crave, and the reason I I, I love play by play is feeling the energy of the game and feeling the camaraderie of being a part of a team. When you have great producer, great director, great analyst, great reporter, and you feel like you're part of a team, and you're like trying to accomplish something, and then you add in the adrenaline of a game, it feels like being on a sports team again, and it's super fun. Uh, and and I feel I feel so lucky in that regard, and and. And all those people end up, you know, they feel like family members. You know, Sarah, Sarah feels like, you know, she feels like a sister to me. She's she's one of the closest people in my life. You know, Mike Fratello, the things I learned from him, he always felt like he always felt like an uncle to me, you know, and 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 we were super close. Hubie Brown feels like my grandfather and what I learned from him and the way he takes care of me. Um and and it's just amazing what he's able to still do at 87 years old on the air. But, yeah, I feel uh, – I f- Flip, you're so right. Like, And you know. I mean, you know because I'm sure you've had a person or two pass through, yes, through the years or the other networks you're at where you're just like, man, like that's just – all of a sudden everything becomes harder, right, When when, when you have an yes. analyst who can't right. do it. But when you have an analyst who's great, oh, my gosh, it makes play-by-play so easy. It comes down
2: to just not being selfish yeah you know, there are people who are selfish behind the mic and um and you know try to take as much airtime as they can and don't look to set up an analyst and you know your job is a play-by-play not only to, to play-by-play person is not only to be descriptive of what's going on it's also to set up the people around you to, mm-hmm. get, when you know that the, there's you, you know that they would give a great answer to a particular question make sure you get that question because you want to share the that answer you want to be shared with your audience so mm. you, know, you, you get all that and you get a lot more it's been a it's been a lot of fun today uh, uh thank you so much I, I i'd say to you goodbye sir to say goodbye <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to get into that story but anyway i just want to tell you uh, we appreciate it, kevin and i both say so thank you for giving us some time and uh, thank you for all you've uh, you contribute to yes so thanks again ryan
1: you're welcome flip thank you both for having me and and thank you flip because uh you know i i it's it's not only an honor to be a yes but it's an honor to get on the boss's podcast you know i mean so this (laughs) was i I was pretty pumped about this so thank you
2: well see kevin does not share your saying what are you talking about i mean stucco privately has told me a lot about kevin
0: (laughs) i look forward to this every week uh, but (laughs) i
2: I, but i thank you for saying that and i know in his own way kevin is appreciative as well for you
0: being on so so, thank you ryan yes very much and uh, <laughs> you got it guys you got it guys thank you kev thank you flip brian was a lot of fun flip uh and as you guys were talking about the the early years of yes and ryan's early days in yes i couldn't help but think back to the softball promo do you remember the softball yes. promo yes i
2: do. Th- you know wow well, we should have brought that up the, he was the catcher the, right he was he played the catcher and he got the, the, the david justice like hit it right and he yes he was the, Went up like 75 feet. We had him flying 75 feet. It was a rigged shot. Obviously, he didn't move 75 feet. But he was. We were doing a softball pro. Uh, softball pro. We were promoting yes, and we did it on the context of a softball game. And Ryan was the catcher. And Here comes David Justice. Going around 30 barrels in the poor Ruto And he, he goes flying about 100 feet or whatever. And it's uh, like obviously, it was a rigged shot. But uh, that was uh, that was our first. Uh, that was my first exposure to uh, to Ryan was was that promo.
0: That's how you know he's a team player. Um, my other takeaway from that interview was he and I, well, he's smart. He, yes, he, he figures out that Jordan Montgomery is the X factor, like
2: <laughs> myself. Okay, there you go. He could be. He could be. I'll lean be.
0: It somewhere else, but,
2: but, I, but he is important to the Yankees, no doubt.
0: He is. He is. Before we got to Ryan, I promised we'd talk a little bit about the spring training rules. Um, I want to throw a couple at you. First, there's this new mercy rule. So a manager can end an inning after a pitcher has thrown 20 pitches. I should note this is only through March 13th. Um, we actually saw that come into play in a Red Sox game. Yes. Um, Garrett Richards was getting hit through 23 pitches. They ended the inning, and then he went out and had a 1-2-3 inning. Give me, your, give me your thoughts on uh, that rule.
2: Uh, because spring training is spring training. And the whole idea is to find out about some players and to get to to stretch out the pitchers in particular. The the position players need less at bats. They don't need all that many at bats to find their way. And most of these guys stay in shape year round. Occasionally you'll find a guy who isn't, but for the most part, these guys are in shape year round. So it's not really so much about conditioning for a hitter. It's just about getting a couple of at bats, say, B's against live pitching. And usually if they get, you know, regularly gets 50 at bats, I think that's usually enough for them. And they play the cage and everything else. So they're usually pretty good. Pitchers need to be stretched out. Okay, so as long as you're, the, the the regulars are getting a couple of at bats, and the pitchers are getting stretched out, and you're getting to look at a couple of pictures, maybe in a game that you want to see what they can do, uh, they're minor leaguers or trying to make a team, and you want to see what they can do. That's the purpose of spring training: get people in shape, stre- stretch the pictures out for sure, and to see like what players do you have that you want to see under game conditions, some of the prospects and see how they perform. And, and, and then and the game is just is just provides a backdrop, a context for you to do, to accomplish that so you can't take the game seriously unlike the regular season obviously where the games are obviously the most important part every other part of it isn't as important as the game itself spring training takes is the opposite it's about getting people together, the players together to you know to get themselves ready for the season, but how they get there is, a, is a, isn't important. You could if you want to give a guy an inning and he gives up two home runs, you still, he's still and he's and he's only thrown two pitches. All right, well, he's still got a lot of pitches to throw. Let him throw it. let's let's see what he's got. Let him stretch out his arm. there's There's things that you need to do. So it is really about getting ready for the season as opposed to what's for the the game itself is of, of, of not of, of major consequence.
0: Completely agree. Um, And I have no issues with that particular rule change. Um, But I guess the one big argument against it is it limits the amount of innings played. I understand why they're doing that. But when you look at a youngster who's trying to make an impression on a coach or a manager, he might not get that that opportunity anymore.
2: Well, they might not get that opportunity there. It doesn't mean that if they, and if, they if they like what they're seeing, you know, on a, one of the throw fields where the players are just, you know, going through the, the, the you know, the, the the fielding exercises and, and they're doing the other, other things that they need to do, uh, practice their pickoffs or, you know, uh, work on their control or command, uh, they're, they, 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 they will be seen. They'll be spotted. The coaches will say something on the backfield. They'll say something to the manager. So and so looked really good today. They so were really sharp. You know, they'll get batters in there. They'll, they'll play sim games. They do all sorts of stuff. So coaches will get an idea if somebody's got something going. A hitter is hitting the ball better than they thought. A pitcher is throwing a ball with with, you know, his control issues seem to be behind him. They'll see it on the backfields. They'll say something to the manager. The manager then says, oh, you know, I, I'm making make it a point to get him in a game against live live competition, give him a live game, see what he does. So there is a communication system that does go on. So does, so performances don't go unnoticed. And then also they maybe say, okay, I like what I'm seeing there. Let's let's graduate him to another to another part of the of the training regiment to see how he does.
0: Good point. There's a handful of other rule changes. I don't want to get into them all, but there is one other one that I want to talk about because it kind of impacts us here at YES is now managers can mutually agree on a game being as few as five innings. Um, What do you think of that rule one and two? How does it impact somebody like a YES who has to, you know, our poor director of programming, Mark Laplace, is scheduling three hours, right? And the game's an hour and a half.
2: Well, it means you, you it means you do a lot of fill on the other side. Um, yeah. I mean, listen again, the whole point of it is to get players ready. Um, and if, if the manager feels that, you know, he doesn't need the additional innings, both teams feel that, you know what, we've we've uh, we've uh, the weather is whatever it is. I've, I've come, I came here with this in mind. I wanted to see this guy play that guy play. I wanted to get this guy in this guy in, and I was able to do that. Anything beyond that is a bonus. So they may just look at it as again. There's also the thing of you. Don't, you don't want to get. If you don't want pitchers throwing too much, you don't want guys getting hurt. You know. So there is. A, there is sometimes. A, there is a lot of logic that goes behind maybe making a because if if you if you if you have the mindset that what I, when we get to the eighth inning and the ninth inning and the seventh inning, I'm going to see you know so and so from Double A and so and so from Single A who's whatever. Um, I may not need it that day. Uh, I, my, here's my agenda. I've said it. I want to see so-and-so pitch and so-and-so pitch. I'd like to see so-and-so hit or so-and-so play a little defense over here. I've accomplished that five innings is enough. It's a long, long season. You know, we're not a lot of days off. There'll be, there'll be a bunch of double headers. Uh, you know, who knows how this is all going to play out with COVID. I think they're, they're erring on the side of caution. Like let's get out work in, but let's not overdo it. So if we if we can get it done, and we can get done at in five innings, then that's the, that's the
0: road we'll take. I know it's early, but is anything standing out to you so far this spring? I have one. Uh, I think
2: I know where you're going to go. I have a feeling I know where you're going to go. Oh, yeah? Go for it. Uh, I think you're going to go Jordan Montgomery.
0: Well, no, no. Um, We did did him already. We (laughs) We did. I've done him. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Derek Dietrich, he does not skip workouts, that man. No,
2: he does. He looks good. Doesn't he look good? He looks great. Yeah, he really does. He really does. Uh,
0: look, and the Yankees could use, could use the outfield, help. Let's face it. That's a good point. Hey, you want to talk about that a little bit? Because yeah, sure. Sure. The, the be- construction of the bench is intriguing to me. Um, my guess is they're taking four. Uh, yeah. One of them's a catcher. Well, it has to be, right? So that gives you three. Right. And you, that's even intriguing, right? Like, Kyle Higashioka, you think it's him? But, given Garrett Cole's history with Torinos, it might be Torinos.
2: I mean it could be. I mean, it, it could be, and the fact that Sanchez has been caught caught Cole was interesting to me because that says that, you know, maybe they're thinking, you know that that San they want to get Sanchez behind that plate for as many games. Look, he's looked better defensively, okay. um he's he's looking good at the plate. He's not he's having so far I mean it's very, very early, but so far he looks pretty good. Uh, if that's the case, then then, then they want to get him as many bats as possible, right? They're gonna they they'll. And he's got to be able to work with Cole, where Cole and he are on the same page. So, what better way to find out than spring training? If they pitch him a couple of times at Cole, Sanchez catches him a couple of times in spring training, and it seems like it's working, then the, the Yankees have a lot more flexibility in what move they make. Right. You
0: know, so. and so obviously you check catcher. That leaves you with three spots. Right. I think one of them goes to Tyler Wade just because of his versatility.
2: Right. The Swiss Army knife thing, the Zoborus quality. You got to be able to have guys who can play multiple positions. That helps Sue a lot. And he also can run. He can pinch, run, play the infield, outfield. We can do just about everything except pitch.
0: So now you have two spots, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to list some names for you. This is crazy because they're all major leaguers. Two spots for Brett Gardner. Yeah. Jay Bruce. Yeah. Brett Gardner's going to make
2: Gardner's got one. Now you got one spot.
0: Okay, one spot. Good. Yeah. One spot for Jay Bruce, Miguel Andujar, Mike Ford, Mike Talkman, Derek Dietrich, Tyro Estrada. All major leaguers. Who gets the one spot?
2: Uh, go back to the first two names you mentioned.
0: Jay Bruce and Miguel Andujar.
2: Okay. I think it's well. And what's well, the third name you mentioned? Mike Ford. It's, it's the Mike top. Talkman. No, it, it's it's going to be. Let's see. It's going to be one of the top. It's going to be one of the first two. I think that's that. that i mean it, there's also guys that are going get traded i mean anddahar is in a prime spot to be traded uh he's a great hitter, he's a great hitter, and the question is not you don't question his heart he's got a lot of heart it's just his defense has been negligible and i and i and plus you've got a guy playing third who the Yankees are not moving now, so you've got uh, you've got south the Yankees are solid at third base. So, and that, where's, where's Sandy Hart going to play? They've tried him in the outfield, and you know, he's, he's all right, but he's not better than some of the other people we've met. He doesn't have the experience there. So, he's really just a sort of – he's an offensive force, but the Yankees hit well enough. The Yankees have to concentrate also on defense too because you, you can't give the team other outs, extra outs. You can't. I mean, you see what happens when, when a team is not constructed to play defense and they give the other team extra outs. However, eventually, that catches up to them, and especially against good teams. You're not going to beat a good team in a, in a series if you can't play defense. So defense is really important to a team too. So I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with it's, – it's the, it's the top – I'm going to go. I think Bruce makes it uh, because they need left-handed hitting. The Yankees, they don't have a lot of left-handed bats. If you have him and Gardner as your extra outfielders, I think oh, well, you got Stanton, you got Judge. judge and hicks right and and then you have the two of them i think you probably might be covered defense and you got frazier so the yankees that are covered you know every which way you know but the yankees need some lefty hitting because that porch is so inviting in right field it just is and a lefty pull hitter could do major damage there and you know gardner is of that age now where he's he's you know he's not the same player he was but he's still a pretty terrific player and and he's great in the clubhouse he has inestimable (laughs) <laughs> value. <laughs> where do we go again. Um, or anyway, his value is 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 obviously extremely high to the Yankees, or they would have brought him back. So they think a lot of him. So you know, he's one of them for sure. And then I might go with Bruce just because, um, because of his his power.
0: You know his history. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Jay Bruce is yeah. is going to be the guy. I think. Uh, lastly, before we go, Flip, we'd be remiss if we didn't send well wishes to Yankees manager Aaron Boone, absolutely, who underwent surgery on Wednesday.
2: Yes. Yes, pacemaker.
0: Uh, yes, pacemaker. Best yeah. wishes to Aaron yes. Boone. Sounds like he's doing well. Um, for more on this story, actually, go to yesnetwork.com. Jack Curry wrote a great column um, just about Boone's passion for his peers and his job, despite being in a trying circumstance. It was a, it was a great story. But he's a great
2: he's a great guy, and he, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised that he's had success uh, as as a manager. Never managed before, but he walked in and. There- tough set of circumstances I mean Girardi's there 10 years and Girardi brought a championship to the Yankees and lots of other there's a lot of qualities to that and you know and no, nobody's in a job forever that's a long time for a manager being a job and Boone walked in without a lot of experience and he stepped right in and he's done a really good job players really like him he, he fights for his players he's not afraid to go to an umpire and get in, get in their face whatever he qu- called it, it's questionable whatever he's he really is very much a uh, uh, sports the players and you know he's uh, he's got he's got good people skills and deals with the media well. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy that they found what they found and they're addressing it for him. And I, and I wish him long-term nothing but success. He's a really good guy.
0: Couldn't agree more. There's no easy segue from there. So what do you think? We land this thing, Flip? I think in the words of Ashley Fugazi, it's time to land the plane. Let's go. And we are landing the plane. So here we
2: go, and we'll see you next time soon. Thank you again. Remember, rate, review, and subscribe. It's so important to us. Rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.